Because the whole world gone crazy! Just please, go nuts. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I mean, really, explore the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's down there somewhere. Let me take another one. Brothers and sisters, oh. let me tell you a story. Okay. Just the other day, I received a call. What call was it? You probably heard of it. It was a call to adventure. Now, getting a call to adventure often, uh, often arouses uneasiness in an ordinary soul. The very same sense of qualm and alarm that was awoken within my own self when I received such a call. <laughs> okay. But what happened next may surprise you. What was it? My brothers and sisters. Holy shit. When I got the call to oh adventure, I let it go to voicemail. You know, call back if it's important, right? You fucking piece of shit. <laughs> anyway, welcome to Beautiful welcome Animals to Podcast. Beautiful Animals that's podcast. Hey, you know, at least it wasn't a fucking your car's extended warranty. Bullshit. Oh, that's the real adventure is now, isn't it? Oh Just my anyway, God. scams are out there, Beautiful Animals, so be <laughs> careful. But welcome back to another episode of Beautiful Animals Podcast. That's with us. With your hosts... Andy Bosch. And Tyler Coe. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're doing it. We're going to talk a little bit more today about the hero's journey. We're not going to just recap uh, the journey again or talk about the Cosmic Gunning Cycle. Instead, we're going to define our terms a little bit. Oh, yeah. Just a little dictionary episode we're doing here. We love dictionaries (laughs) and we love episodes. So (laughs) we've been throwing around the term archetype, right? Yeah. I uh, actually have been saving this question for... When we bring up archetypes on the oh, podcast, because you've been talking about archetypes a I'm little bit, thrown on, around the word a lot. You've been talking about it a little bit on the podcast, but a lot more off the podcast. <laughs> so my question, yeah, what the fuck are archetypes? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, that's a great question because we've talked about it a lot. We haven't really uh, broken down the term, and the the reason being is that it's a very general term. Like archetype really just means it, you can almost use the word archetype to mean template, like an archetype personality is sort of a subset uh standard grouping of personalities an archetype in storytelling is like a typical uh you know group of of character traits that get assigned together to a particular character type right Mm -hmm. so an archetype is just like you could say oh you know the hero archetype and you're referring to a set of traits and story tropes that will go with a character that you can identify then as yeah. a hero, right? A hero, he'll be, he has certain traits like heroic mm-hmm. and strong. Heroism, probably. yeah. Does a, hair, a lot of heroin. A lot of heroin. Hairy. Yeah. He or she, uh, or them. And then like other archetypes, like the teacher archetype, like even when I say the word teacher, right, it, you probably think of someone who has those character traits that makes them, in your eyes, a teacher, mm-hmm. right? So basically an archetype is just sort of a, um, a collection of traits that you can use to identify a particular character or human as that type of person. What makes it an archetype instead of just a type is that it's more overarching and it goes uh, extends through time and through different media, right, different mediums. So you might have the archetype of the hero in in movies, in your own life, and in religious texts, and in, and you know, all different things, right? So it's it's an overarching type that exists in, in a bunch of different cultural, you know, different sort of realms, so to speak. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be a character or person. It can be an event, even, like an exactly. apocalypse or a fire or flood. Yeah, it could be a it could be a, a thing or an event. Um, so like an archetypical flood myth, 
Like if someone said, oh, it's a flood myth archetype, they're referencing the fact that there are many different myths that follow the same sort of template uh, of there being this great flood, right? So they're using using the word archetype as you know, almost interchangeably like template or prototype or model, you know. Yeah. Okay, so in the hero's journey, so we're, what, we were ta- what we were saying just a minute ago when we were talking is that uh, there are different types of archetypes, <laughs> right? So there are character archetypes, there are set and setting archetypes, and then there are like our event archetypes. Three different things. And for character archetypes from the hero's journey, there are pretty much eight main character archetypes. Some of these you can bunch together in, in other breakdowns, but just to go through the eight really quick, the eight are the hero, you know, the hero of the journey, Luke, whoever. The mentor, right, Yoda, or the person that uh, helps them out. It could be Gandalf if we're talking about Lord of the Rings. The ally, so that's the helper person. Sometimes in the hero's journey, we talked about how the threshold guardians, the people that bar the way, can become allies later on. Oh, yeah. So that's just kind of like a story archetype is that that happening them. The threshold guardians are a character archetype. And that's part of the the initial the threshold section <laughs> yeah. of the like like what makes the threshold a threshold in the hero's journey is that there's something that makes it difficult to cross. In some stories, that thing that makes it difficult to cross the threshold is a threshold guardian, right? And then in some of those stories, that threshold guardian, who's a specific character who's blocking the way to the threshold, can become an ally and then help the hero yeah. in their journey into the unknown. So, And what yeah. I'm saying is that transformation is kind of an archetype itself, like an event. that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's like a narrative. You could call that a narrative trope. trope. Yeah, or a narrative archetype. Yeah, it's you can absolutely call that an archetype. Well said, well said. Okay, so we said the hero, the mentor, the ally, and the number four is the herald. This one is a little more uh, esoteric, a little harder to pin down. Um, The herald appears usually in the beginning of the story to announce the the need for the change in the hero's life. In the case of Star Wars, it's actually R2-D2. Huh. Because he's got the little video. He shows up with the video to um, tell Obi-Wan that uh, Leia needs some help. And saying, hey, this journey needs a hero. Yeah. In the uh, the Big Lebowski, it's the rug pissers, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously. You know, it's pretty. It's typically a minor role, uh, and, and you know, so you don't necessarily, like, remember all those characters, but it's basically the person that shows up and says, you need to go on this journey. If we talk about Lord of the Rings again, I would, I would say that the herald there is Gandalf, but mm-hmm. then he's also the mentor, right? Yeah. So it's not... It, it doesn't... And then there are other mentors in Lord of the Rings, of course, like Aragorn yeah, exactly. becomes a mentor role, Boromir is even a mentor. So you don't... You know, it's not hard and fast that, like, one person is just one thing. The trickster is the fifth character archetype from um, Hero's Journey. There's a couple different interpretations of the trickster, trickster because, again, like, different characters can kind of get rolled up into one. So, like, Loki is often called the trickster god, right? And he is always playing tricks in Norse mythology on... Odin and Thor and the other as guardians, but he's also the villain. Like he's also the bad guy, right? Yeah. So sometimes, again, people can can yeah, play can multiple roles, occupy two spaces. Yeah, typically, I mean, one one thing that's typical, a general rule for the trickster is, is kind of twofold. They they add fun and humor to the story, or like a sense of levity, right? But they also bring a different perspective to the events or, like, challenge the thought process of the antagonists. 
as they're going through the story, right? They they kind of throw out like roadblocks, but also sometimes alternate perspectives that can help them along. In Harry Potter, one of the tricksters is Dobby. That little trickster. Yeah. Uh, Merry and Pippin would be tricksters. Yeah, don't they like steal a loaf of bread or something? Remember, they, they steal a loaf of bread. They knock down that like bucket into the well <laughs> that summons all the fucking uh, goblins, oh, remember, goblins. in the Mines of Moria. Okay, the sixth is the shapeshifter. So these are people that sort of are blending the liner on the um, on the edge of ally and villain, right? So often they'll begin as an ally and then betray the hero, or you're just never really sure where their loyalties lie. You know, it might be... I feel like there are characters like this all over the place. Yeah, it's usually just the twist. It's like... Yeah, it's... Well, not even... The guy in The Matrix who eats the steak... The guy in the Matrix who eats the steak is a really good example of a shapeshifter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's the homies, and then he's like, you know what? He's I'm an ally, and then he, he betrays them, and he's, he's not like the big bad. No. But he is, like, goes from being an ally to being an enemy. Yeah. Like, and it's I, sort of a mercenary type character who's sort of looking out for their own good, and sometimes that allies them with the hero, and sometimes that allies them with the villain. Yeah, the term, I mean, the shapeshifter means, just refers to them, like, basically, Changing, yeah, yeah. Their, their motives aren't what they appear to. They appear to be one thing in the beginning of the story and they are revealed to be something else later in the story. Yeah, I guess in like in Lord of the Rings, there are two shapeshifters and they go opposite directions, right? There's Boromir, who is an ally, but becomes an enemy, but then becomes an ally again. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then there's Gollum, who is an enemy and then an ally, and then sort of an enemy, but by being an enemy at the very end... Saves the world. So <laughs> these are shapeshifter characters. They're the yeah. most interesting. They're <laughs> they're complicated. They right? shape the most shifts. <laughs> yes. Okay. The seventh character archetype from the hero's journey is called the guardian or threshold guardian. We spoke about how threshold guardians can become allies. They're typically though the threshold guardian is a particular guardian. There are other guardians that people that the characters might face on their way through the story. Right. The Black Knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Have you seen that? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Good. You know what's really funny? We were up in Oregon and Joe was like, wait, has Tyler seen Monty Python <laughs> in the Holy Grail? And, I was, and my response, I was like, gosh, I hope so. <laughs> It'd be a fucking nightmare if he has it. It'd be a problem. <laughs> They're basically people that try and stop the hero on their way uh, on the journey, right? Sometimes chess is a guardian. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes a cribbage match yeah. is a guardian. Anyway, and then uh, the eighth archetype from the hero's journey is they call it the shadow right but this this is the villain right this is the bad guy this is uh oh you know who's a good guardian from a story is dark link from (laughs) yeah we talked about him (laughs) yeah from ocarina of time uh also very challenging anyway but then the big bad right the shadow darth vader of course is a very obvious shadow he's even veiled in black he even looks like a shadow the shadow is is more effective as with dark link if they mirror the hero in some way right because again the hero's journey is like more an internal journey than anything else Mm -hmm. so it's really about sacrificing part of yourself to become your greater self so really that dragon that sith lord that whatever giant scary wolf that's trying to eat the sun that you have to fight at the end of the story (laughs) Part of that is a part of you, right? So it, so characters, and especially villains, are more compelling when there's something about them that reflects the hero back yeah. to the person reading the story or the hero participating in the story. Uh, yeah, so those are some eight... Those are like uh, the eight 
character archetypes specifically from the hero's journey. Like I was saying, there so there are people archetypes, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are place or thing archetypes. And the reason we lump place and thing together is because they can be used interchangeably to reference the same archetype, but like especially in the case of the the world navel, which we'll get to in just a minute, or the axis mundi, which is one of my favorite archetypes. Anyway, <laughs> so there's place or thing archetypes, and then there are event archetypes, right? So we just went through some some character archetypes. Let's take a minute and talk a little bit about place or thing archetypes. Ooh, inanimate. Yeah, exactly. Let's get out of the animate world and into the inanimate. Let's Whoa. get into the animate. So there are a lot of examples of like set and setting archetypes, right? Like we've all we're all familiar with the garden archetype, like the Garden of Eden, oh, yeah. right? Or the con- and conversely, the wasteland archetype. Oh. Like you can picture when I say the wasteland, I'm sure I'm sure that something comes to mind, right? Be it the like the rocks of Emin Muil from Muil from Lord of the Rings, or like the whole fucking Mordor setting in Lord of the Rings, or the swamp with, like, the rodents of unusual size from the Princess Brine. <laughs> or just the wasteland that was in Carl Jung's story. Yeah, that he wandered in for, like, 30 nights. Yeah. Yeah, right? And there's shit like that in the Bible, too. There's a lot of shit like that in the Bible. There's a lot of deserts in the Bible. <laughs> uh, the maze, or the labyrinth, right? I don't know if you've seen the movie Labyrinth. I have. That's a good movie. Yeah, a lot of glitter everywhere. A lot of glitter, a lot of David Bowie. Yeah. One usually follows the other. <laughs> the forest, right? Just like the dark forest or a castle. Those are all setting archetypes. So there's a lot of different examples. I mean, just, you know, locations, setting that uh, sort of communicate the same vibe or the same feeling across different mediums, right? Like the desert or the wasteland is always going to communicate that sort of desolation, desperation for the characters. Yeah. It's going to communicate, you know, a place of danger. It's not like, oh, okay, here's the wasteland. It's a happy place, typically. Typically not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's kind of uh, symbolic of where the character is internally. Yes. Like mentally. Exactly. They're usually going through some shit. At the same time, like, they're in the wasteland. Getting in fights with big old rats. <laughs> yeah. I love the rodents of unusual size. That's one <laughs> of the best things. So that's like a, just some general setting archetypes. And some of these sort of spill into the realm of the world navel. Because often, you know, the mountains, the mountains, can, like a mountain archetype can be like a threshold or like a challenge to overcome. Like the Misty Mountains in Lord of the Rings. Like they couldn't go over them, so they have to go under them. The Cliffs of Doom, or whatever they're called in The Princess Bride. Cliffs of Insanity. Oh, that was it. The Cliffs of Insanity, yes. But sometimes, sometimes, a mountain isn't necessarily a barrier, but it can be something else called the World Naval. The World Naval is is Joseph Campbell's term, essentially for the location where creative energy like spills back into the physical world from the like divine world or spiritual world. So it can take many different forms, right? So that's why it's an archetype is it applies to many different things and potentially locations. So in this case it's not just a set or setting, it can also be things, right? This is there's another term for it like the modern term for the world navel is axis mundi, which means the axis of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like the place at which the world, the physical realm is like a fi- affixed to the divine or spiritual or emotional worlds. Right. Yeah. And so, so like, in the Matrix, it would be those giant needles they shove in their heads. 
Oh, gosh, I guess you're right. Yeah, what would it be in the Matrix? Either that or when he's in that room talking to the creator. Yeah, that's sort of like the, the, the spot. Guy. Yeah. You know, it could be. you could say that the needles are the Axis Mundi, though. Or like at least the, the, the port. The place where the divine energy, like the energy from outside the Matrix comes into the Matrix. Yeah. That's interesting. Other examples, though, are like the World Tree, Yggdrasil, mm-hmm. from, in Norse mythology. I don't know if I, I fully broke it down before like in the last episode but but i will speak to it a little bit the world tree yeah it's kind of you said it was kind of a, a connection between the divine i don't know uh, creative world and then earth and then also the underworld right yeah so yggdrasil in norse mythology the the branches of the tree of yggdrasil like reach far up into the heavens and then around the roots of yggdrasil are like these three different springs uh and each one has like a different power but down at the bottom is where like the dragon nidhog lives and uh is like this crazy fucked up serpent so this tree is like the tree of life and it extends all the way up to the heavens all the way down to the underworld and then midgard like the realm of people is all around that's that's the trunk it's the trunk that's where all the junk is yeah yeah exactly every every part of the the Norse mythological world kind of, you know, is literally built around this giant tree, right? That connects divinity to everything else, including the underworld, right? The uh, another really good example from mythology that we've been talking about is the bow tree that uh, the Buddha sits at oh, yeah. to attain enlightenment. And this actually speaks to because a common theme with these world navels is that they become the world navel or this place that's connected to divinity. Because the hero achieves apotheosis in that location. Mm, yeah, right? so it's basically just a place where they're able to either communicate or receive communication from the creator. Yeah, or become God or become divine, right? Oh, yeah. So in, in Christian religion, the example of the world tree or the world navel is the cross, right? Because mm. on the cross is where Jesus died for our sin. You said it, man. And and so then it ha- it holds a place in every church. It's looked at and sort of worshipped, right, in every church. And people put it around their necks as this example of the connection to the divine. I'm not going to speak to whether or not Jesus <laughs> was actually crucified. Maybe he was. Who knows? But either way, it lines up really well with the world naval um, archetype, the Axis Mundi, this location where our hero becomes divine. Yeah. And then that location becomes a font of divine power into the physical realm, right? In many stories, it's not just in one location. It can be in different locations, or it can be in one location until another hero achieves this divine connection, and boom, then there it's there. But it's like this sort of mutable center of the physical realm around this divine hub. You know what I was just thinking of? What's that? Jack and the Beanstalk. Oh, no shit. Yeah, think about that. That's uh, the yeah. Beanstalk. <laughs> yeah, it, it carries him up to the world of giants where... Yeah. He's able to murder one of the giants. and Oh, man. Jack and the Boonstock's a great hero's journey example. Yeah. Yeah, because he goes up there. The ultimate boon is the goose laying the golden eggs. Yeah. Would you say, I mean, I wonder if a black hole is like an ultimate world navel. Uh, that's an interesting question. All right. I think it might be. I mean, if I mean that's assuming all that crazy shit we talked about last episode is true. Where... Which is definitely <laughs> <laughs> true. It's, it's true, but it's not wrong. Or I don't remember how the hell I phrase it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that is interesting. 
But also, I mean, like um, I was saying before, mountains can symbolize the Axis Mundi, right? Like a lot of people worship yeah. mountains as like a mother mother Gaia goddess mountain, like Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, we did an episode about uh, some ter- terrible things that happened on Everest, and I don't actually remember if it made it into the episode or not, but the um, local people in that area, of course, the Sherpas, there was a quote from, did I put, the, was that in the episode? Yeah. At okay. the end where you're talking about the, the little girl. Yeah. Yeah. Where she's talking about how this is our like creator God, basically our connection to divinity, and we've allowed people to sort of defile her. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Mount Everest, right? That could yeah. be a world naval. That could be a really, you know, maybe that is. Uh, I mean, for many people that on their hero's journey travel to the top of Mount Everest, I'm sure that is a, a sort of source of divinity for them, right? Yeah. In their lives. Going through that sort of issue, anyway. So yeah, so those are just some examples of world navels. The thing that the the physical world revolves around, the connection to divinity. But it doesn't just have to be places, right? Uh, we've Ooh. talked about a few different places. We talked about the desert. We talked about the woods. We talked about the wasteland. We talked about the world tree. But it could also be a thing or like a plot device. It could also be uh, be the thing. You know, it's referred to in sort of modern narrative. Uh, uh, discussions as the MacGuffin. Have you oh, heard yeah. that term? Yeah, the little plot device thing that pushes the plot forward. Yeah, the thing that everybody's trying to get, right? So, like, in, in The Lord of the Rings, you guessed it. It's the friggin' ring. It's the ring, yeah, because it's it's the whole reason for the whole adventure, right? The term MacGuffin refers to, like, an object that essentially plays no other role than to move the plot forward. Yeah, right? just to motivate the characters. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's interesting that it's it's kind of a really big story or a big part of the story, but it's not like it's, right. it's motivating the characters, but it itself really usually. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't get used do it. or it doesn't typically like take, do anything. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. take much role in the story. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean the ring plays a pretty significant role in Lord of the Rings in, in what it, but only in the way in which it motivates all the characters to do everything that they do. Yeah. Um, but like another MacGuffin, what's another good example? The briefcase in, in Pulp Fiction. They're, right. Everybody's chasing that thing That's around. a great example because it it's, is, it's so mysterious too because yeah, it's just got the gold light coming from it. Everyone shows it. what's in it. And yet it's the reason that many people die in that uh, in that story. And there's the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail in, in reality, like <laughs> that that drove the Crusaders into the Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's a good one. I mean, I don't think the Crusades are all about the Holy Grail, but no, probably not. But yeah, the Holy Grail. I mean, people even use that term, the Holy Grail of XXX, you know, or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. is a way that people incorporate MacGuffins into their daily life. I was just talking to a friend, and he used that term. He's like, my Holy Grail of off-road vehicles would be. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what he said. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so people use that term, the Holy Grail, of. Uh, to to discuss something that that drives them, you know, at the at the pinnacle uh, of their interest. Um, what would you say is the holy grail of people? Mm. People who listen to a certain podcast, perhaps. Yes, you you're talking about like the most preeminent people in the world, like the yeah. holy, my favorite people. Yeah, the actual yeah, people best. that listen to beautiful animals podcast. Yes, that's yeah. that's what. Yeah. And people that uh, that follow us at uh, what is our Instagram handle? <laughs> beautiful Yes. Those are the best people in the world. That's if you the want to holy get grail. Even better than the best, you will send us an email at, at beautifulanimalspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Damn, plug. nice plug. Good plug. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so but also like in the hero's journey, typically the the role this MacGuffin archetype is, is known as the ultimate boon, 
Oh yeah, it's, it's like the, the treasure yeah. at the end. It's it's the power that you're given by God or whoever you commune with at the end of the story. Yeah, it could even be a person like somebody you uh, a princess you're trying to save yeah. or or even just uh, a quest objective on your map if you're playing a video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be a pile of money, or it could be like a concept like uh, peace within the galaxy mm-hmm. or enlightenment in the case or, of Buddha. But there are even more archetypes, my friend. Not you mean just more? characters, yeah. You not mean just more? places or things or ideas. Not just people. Not but just e- things. Even larger archetypes, overarching event archetypes. Oh. Yeah. So I mean, we talked about a couple of them last. Yeah, episode. we talked about, we talked about, about the... the end of the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, that we happens. talked about the birth of the world, right? That also, the happens. cosmogonic cycle. The Big Bang is an archetypical event. But there are others that occur that that come up in myth and in stories often. One of them that like probably the first one that comes to mind anytime I think about like event archetypes is like deluge or the great flood myths. Yeah. Right? Because obviously there's um There's the one in the Bible. There's one in the Bible in which Noah gets a heads up and builds the ark and gets all the animals to come onto his ship and, and uh is able to repopulate the earth. Somehow we don't need to go into it. We're not going to go into it, <laughs> <laughs> right? But and that great flood myth is repeated in many different cultures. I think a lot of that has to do with the just the fact that most civilizations were seafaring or close to the rivers. Yeah, they all developed around like places, sources of water, right? And that's where floods occur. And yeah, I think also like in events of heavy rain, when not that I've really experienced it, but it's it's kind of like once that flood, like the water's coming up and up and up. You're like, oh shit, I wish it would stop, but you. You can't fucking stop that shit. It's going to go where it wants to go. You're talking and, about the experience of uh, getting, the loss of control. Yeah, just a lot. Well, I mean, yeah, but also just literally Insignificance yeah. of human. Yeah, so there's like the, there's the flood myth, Noah, of course, that yeah. example in the Bible. There's another in, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, right, which is um, like the Mesopotamian myth, mythological scriptures, right? There's a very similar myth in which... The god, the highest god, Enlil, decides to destroy the world, right? Because humans suck. Actually, <laughs> it's because they're too noisy and they're he's, they're bugging him. But anyway, so then this other god who created created people warns the hero of this particular story, whose name I cannot pronounce. I think it's uh, Utnapishtim. So Enlil decides to destroy the world with a flood. The god Ea warns the hero of this particular story, who's not Noah, but basically playing the role of Noah. His name is uh, Utnapshtim. Do you know how to pronounce that? Utnapshtim. Utnapshtim. Anyway, (laughs) the god Ea uh, warns Utnapshtim of the flood and gives him blueprints to build a a big boat. So that's pretty similar, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there are even older ones from the Sumerian creation myth, uh, which is from 1600 BC, right? Which basically gives the same, same example. So it's... There are a lot of uh, different flood myths, and, and other cultures as well, like the Chinese have a flood myth. and Oh, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but one thing I really like about the difference between the hero's journey uh, story structure and then, like, the deluge mythical structure mm-hmm. is in the hero's journey, you have to leave, you have to go away from your place of comfort and, like, seek out power or whatever and then bring it back to your community. But in deluge myths, the hero... It isn't going anywhere. Like, the bad shit is coming right to you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't get an opportunity to, like, go somewhere and have this great experience and overcome these trials. You're lucky if you get a warning. You're lucky if you get a heads up and blueprints to build a boat. <laughs> and then the divine power 
shows right up on your doorstep. Yeah, the adventure right? comes to you. It's like uh, Adventure Dash. Yeah. Uh, or Adventure, adventure Dash? What uh, the fuck is that? DoorDash, but with adventures instead of doors. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's brought right up to you, whether you <laughs> like it or not. Yeah. But yeah, so like that that is also an archetype, right? This is what we're talking about as archetypes. The flood myth mm-hmm. archetype is an archetype, right? So it's a whole myth with character archetypes and event archetypes and place archetypes, but that whole mythical structure is an archetype. You could also say that the hero's journey is a narrative archetype. Oh yeah. Right? Or that the the a tale a story of betrayal is a narrative archetype. You know, the story of the cheating or the love affair that goes bad. Oh, yeah. That's like a narrative a, archetype. I feel like the Hallmark movie uh, genre is just an archetype. Hallmark movie, yeah. Uh, rom-com, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, these are genres, but you you can also, you know, archetype is a big word, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but we just wanted to break it down a little bit because we hadn't, you know, haven't given a, a clear description because it can, it can describe a yeah, lot of Yeah, we've been stuff. talking about it for weeks and weeks planning yeah. this podcast, and he never would let me look up the definition or find out what it means. I was always slapping his hand. <laughs> what other uh, event archetypes can you think of off the top of your head? Let's see. Just a war. I feel like they're yeah, just a war. great war. A great, a great war, a great conflict, human conflict, right? That's different than like a divine cataclysm, mm-hmm. but uh, a human scale, human uh, derived conflict is certainly an archetype that occurs in many different stories and, and mythologies and every, every, pretty much every myth mythological sequence has some type of war or combat between, you know, the characters. In many of them, it's just like one generation of gods killing the, the previous generation of gods. <laughs> yeah. That happens all the freaking time in myth. There are a bunch of examples of that in Greek culture and Norse culture. Yeah, the other, you know, another another archetype, it's not really like an event archetype, but it's a it's really it's a really common theme in um, in myths, and because uh, I've been reading a bunch of myths and a lot of stories in, in these in these last few episodes, is the the sort of uh, the division of a divinity or of characters into into male and female. Like in the Garden of Eden, when God makes Eve out of one of Adam's ribs, right? Yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit. We talked about it a little bit. That's yeah. very a very patriarchal, you know, division. But ba- but basically, like. There's a lot of this division of the nature of humanity or of a, a lesser divinity into two parts, and then those two parts having to come back together to create more life, right? Which is, you know, obviously just a pretty basic analogy of what people do. Mm-hmm. But it's there's uh, that archetype is all over the place in mythology where there's like uh, there's this um, sort of division of opposites, right? So there's like fire and water or the sky and the earth, and then those two things, even though they're opposites, by coming together can create more life. Yeah. Right. So yeah, there's yeah. this idea of this, these spectrums, and even Carl Jung talked about that. How like his personal mythological journey, he had to hold these concepts that seemed like opposites together in order to create like life and to and to encourage ongoing divine development. Little this, little that. Exactly, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're kind of coming to the end here of our our discussion of the hero's journey. Uh, by Joseph Campbell, which is a great book. He, he's incredibly knowledgeable. He's he knows so many myths. I mean, it's almost too much. It is too much. <laughs> like while while I was reading that book, I just 
I was like, just he's just kind of like showing off, like he's just jerking off about like how many myths he knows. Like he just he can just he pulls some example out of the most obscure myths of like a small tribe in Africa or like a small Scandinavian sect of this one thing. Like, and it's just like it's overwhelming how, <laughs> yeah. how much knowledge of mythology he has, but it also lends a lot of credence to this concept that he came up with, yeah, which is that shows that all myths have like a pretty cogent structure that they kind of work within and that applies to most stories that people tell to each other right pretty much and and that's what all the we referenced a lot of movies just because that's closer to the top for us you know it's things (laughs) that we know that we that we're more familiar with but it's all the same stuff right it's all stories that we tell each other to help to help explain the human experience and and what both the things that we do to and with one another and the things that just happen right like that's the difference between the hero's journey stories and like the deluge or cataclysm stories is, is we're just seeking a way to explain to each other and to our children. Like when tough things happen, whether it's an internal challenge or the people around you or the fucking land exploding right in front of you (laughs) for no reason. Or just your own conscious not wanting you to do the right thing. Yeah. It's just existential crisis and falling (laughs) into a deep depression, whatever, whatever the, you know, the Obstacle. villain, whatever the nemesis, whatever the challenges whatever are in the journey. Yeah, whatever the MacGuffin is that's driving you. Like, how to how to be a better person while dealing with it, right? Like, that's what it's all about. Like, how to be the most beautiful animal you oh. can be. Oh. Yeah. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, I know a couple of these episodes were a little more loose, a little more free format. Um, but, you know, we just really enjoyed uh, just kind of talking, just kind of talking about this subject matter. Yeah, so thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode uh, just about narratology and about narrative structure. You know, all this stuff is we're going to be bringing it up uh, on our next topics just because the hero's journey and just this these ideas of narrative, like, they just lend themselves to everything. You know, it's just a great framework with which to just look at the world a little bit more closely, you know, and to think about your own struggles. That's what these stories are for, right? Give you a little bit of a guide, a little bit of a framework on how to deal with these issues. So I hope you guys got something out of this and that the next time you get a phone call and someone's like, hey, you got to go on an adventure, you know what to do. Wrong number. Yeah, hang up. (laughs) Hang up the fucking phone. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, if you guys uh, have any questions or want or want more or have any ideas for topics that you'd like us to do, uh, please email beautifulanimalspodcast at gmail.com. We love your feedback. We love your foot pics and your videos <laughs> of pouring water on your face and your solicitations for various products and services. Uh, keep it coming. I, uh, I love you all. Well, all right, should we open a little fortune cookie right here? Yes. You know, I think uh, uh, Credence Clearwater said it best. You know what I'm talking about. You know, he said some folks were born, made. Wait, is that Credence? I have no idea. Some folks are born, made to raise the flag. Oh, yeah. Oh, the red, white, and blue. Yeah. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate cookie. Okay. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) I was wondering where you are. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) If you can dream it, you can become it. If you will it, dude, it is no dream. <laughs> I feel like we've got that one before. Mm, you know who dreamed it? Carl Jung. He dreamed a lot about stuff. Yeah, fuck it. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you sure no, did. That's a good one, though. If, if you uh, like, if you will it. I don't know. You want to do another one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it.
Let's do it. Shall we do a fortune cookie? Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, do a you know one. who said it best? <laughs> Credence. Oh, yeah. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Beautiful Animals Podcast. You are... You are everything. You are my world, Navel. You are my Axis Moondy. My world revolves around each and every one of you. So thank you. We love you. <laughs> Go out there and don't forget to juice it. Don't forget to just like... Go put your mouth around the end of the garden hose and turn that thing on full blast. And just, just really just go nuts. Chug. And just chug, chug a lug. Chug. And then when you're full of water, Shh. drink a little bit. Done. Water. We already too much. Have a good evening. Good night. <laughs> good luck. You know, the Fast and the Furious, I bet you, has a perfect hero's journey structure. Yeah? Yeah, I bet it does. Just because, I don't know, can't you just kind of feel it? I've never actually seen any of the movies. Oh, okay, well, then I guess you can't then. <laughs> <laughs>